Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Fantastic. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, we have the privilege this morning of having uh, Lyndon here from Gain to come and share with us. Uh, Gain has been an organization that we've decided to partner with here at City Collective, and it's going to be just a, a wonderful part of how we express our generosity here at City Collective on, on a global scale. Um, Gain is not just focused on the female empowerment of women. They've got multiple avenues in which they're focusing their attention and doing great work uh, globally. So uh, if you could just join me in giving a hand to Lyndon as he brings the word. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, really glad. I was the guy who was walking around earlier with the funny thing on his head. So, oh, he must be the guy who's speaking today and uh, this uncomfortable uh, whatever around him. Uh, thank you for having me. I always, uh, I, this is my second time here, and I always feel welcome uh, in your tribe, and uh, that's a special thing. And I, I want you to know that when I'm out of town and I know uh, people might be in Langley, I often will tell them, you got to check out City Collective when you go there. Honestly, you guys, I, um, uh, I come out of 30 years of pastoral ministry. Uh, March 15th, 2020 was my last uh, time uh, in ministry, and uh, uh, so when I come to uh, trying to find a church, it's kind of a different experience, and I've said to my wife, Suzanne, even though she hasn't been here yet, she said, I've said, you know what, City Collective would be right up there uh, if I was in Langley and, and wanting to come and share. I, uh, and so, anyhow, we pumped Jason's tires enough. Let's get on with other stuff today. And, uh, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, it's really awesome to be a part of you today. I have to do stuff like, and by the way, to all those of you online, uh, thank you for being here. Um, you know, I have to do stuff like bring you greetings from uh, the president of Power to Change, which is what Global Aid Network is a partner with. Uh, Darren Young uh, is um, a, a good friend of mine, and uh, and then Aaron Rodgers is our new CEO at uh, Global Aid Network, and I bring greetings from him too. Uh, he and his family just went actually to India a few days ago to spend some extended time with family there, and it was, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it'll be good to have Aaron back uh, when he is. And so, once again, thank you uh, for being here. Um, my wife and I uh, still live in West Kelowna, British Columbia, and uh, uh, there with uh, our three adult children who seem to be coming in and out all the time. We're never really sure. Uh, my youngest son left for a mission experience this summer while the other two came home. And then I don't even know where they are. But uh, uh, after a while, it doesn't really matter, honestly. They're adults and they do their thing. Uh, just, you know, pick the underwear up off the floor when you're done kind of idea. So anyhow. Uh, it was the spring of 2015. Uh, April, actually, and uh, we were in northwestern Romania. Uh, the trees had almost completely budded, and we were standing on a hillside wondering what God would do. Uh, 
In fact, this was the question on our hearts as we prayed. There's a group of about 30 of us who stood on that hillside and prayed, God, here are our plans, but what are you going to do? What hopes and dreams will you bring to fruition as we pray over this property? As we pray over this ministry? Like, who would be the first to walk through the doors? Who would be the first to be touched so deeply, so moved by the Spirit that they would give their heart to Jesus for the very first time? There wasn't much on the property in those days, just a few old, old buildings, but we got to work. At times, it was as if we were looking out over a great vista at the horizon, looking at some amazing things of what God was going to do, and we were, you know, our hearts were stirred, and there was hope. At other times, it felt like a precipice <laughs> that we could just kind of fall over if God didn't show up. Today in northwestern Romania, this property is home to a camp uh, and leadership development center called Camp Falcon Rock. I'd like to think that I had a lot to do with it, uh, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm so proud of our friends, uh, Paul and Tanya, who have followed God's voice and in faith stepped out. But one thing I can say is that I was on that hillside that day and pray before anything began. And I know one thing is for sure, that what was not on our minds and hearts that day is that Camp Falcon Rock would become a safe refuge for Ukrainian refugees. That it would be a place not far from the Ukrainian border that people could come and experience just a little bit of refuge in one of the most difficult times of their lives. Seven years later, we could have never imagined that it was that it would uh, that it would have a role like that. Now, why do I tell you all of this story? It's June of 2022. And I'm here to celebrate what God is doing in the life of your church, because whether you realize it or not, you're, you're kind of at a vista. You're at a, you're at a hillside, a, a figurative one, maybe. And praying with women in Paraguay, Women who will be receiving hope from people more than 10,000 kilometers away. You can see it in their eyes. Someone believed in them enough to invest in their business, enough to invest in the process of training and support through a local small group. It's called a trust group that would walk with them in the process of starting a small business to provide for their families in a way that has never happened before for them. And that look in their eyes, the hope that they have found in Christ, is the look of restoration and dignity. I've seen it myself many times. Knowing that with someone coming alongside them in some tangible ways, they could do it. You know, gang, we live in a country of opportunity where we make more decisions in one day and have the ability and freedom to make more decisions in one day than many people in the majority world make in a month. It's hard for us to imagine, but maybe some of you have been there. Maybe you have uh, experienced it firsthand where there is, there is this desperation that maybe this might make, be my last day. 
And through their lenses, they have little hope for real thriving unless someone provides a pathway. And that's what we want to be about. We want to be about providing pathways. Again, it's all about providing pathways. And Diakonia, which is our partner in Paraguay, uh, it has that same mission of providing pathways for people. In Paraguay, on their website, you could read that 22% of the population live in poverty, 10% in extreme poverty, which basically means, according to the UN, that they live on less than $2 a day. And that's sobering for me. It always is. Diakonia writes, the need for holistic development is essential. It is not possible in these times and with our context of poverty to announce the good news of God's love without also promoting peace, justice, and solidarity in words and in actions. And you know that I can be up here just spewing out a bunch of words, but what would really bring some validity to my words, which I won't have a lot of opportunity to do that, but what would bring a lot of validity to, to my words is my actions. Do my words match my actions? The website goes on to say, it is the love for all those who are wounded with the pain and human misery caused by poverty and social exclusion, which has damaged the dignity of so many human beings, many of them living in Paraguay. And so diaconia represents the concrete actions used to teach the poor how to live a life with self-respect, knowing that each and every child, youth and adult, men and women are currently living in poverty can live to discover the dignity and complete freedom that God has for his children. And I like that. Because even as we sit here today, we have a certain sense of dignity in the way that we've been treated and the way we've been hosted and the way we've been loved on, even in our time together today, there is dignity no matter even what you're going through. And you might have had one of the most difficult weeks. There's dignity. And we want to bring dignity to lives uh, who are uh, struggling with that around the world. And so gain exists to reveal hope by sharing God's unconditional love and restore life by demonstrating the gospel through compassionate action to those who are living in poverty, injustice, and crisis around the world. I love it that our partners sort of have a similar thread that work through, uh, you know, what we're trying to do. And, and we don't have time to go into this this morning, but Jason referenced the fact that we do have three core strategies. One of them is Water for Life Initiative in three major countries in Africa, where we've had the opportunity to provide over 2,600 water wells and community development in the last 20 years or so. We are also involved in disaster relief, which I'm going to reference because you had a part in that earlier this year. And then what we're celebrating today, economic empowerment. And in these three areas of mission that touch the lives of people living in poverty around the world, we seek to, we seek to reveal hope and restore life. And we're glad that we can partner with you we're glad that we can help you accomplish the good things that God has planned for your church. And it's kind of cool because, you know, every, it seems, few minutes as a church, you're, you're going through a new thing. You're going through a, uh, somewhere where you've never been before. And you, you need 
others. You need each other and you need those around you that are going to help you accomplish what God wants you to do. Now, friends, these are high and lofty words. And if you've ever worked among your own poor in your own neighborhood or poor around the world, some might even see them as a bit arrogant. Like, what do we have to really offer to people in this world? And, and yet I can tell you that there is a calling that comes straight out of Scripture And I want to reflect on that with you uh, for a few moments. And what it means to be engaged with God and what he's doing in this world. And what he wants to do through you. And City Collective, when we seek to humbly serve our world, we're never out of sync with what God is doing. Let me just share a few moments about what I mean by that. There have been many times throughout history when God's people have been out of sync with what God was doing. And it seems to me that this whole minor prophet series that you've been in has been a study on God's people seemingly out of sync with what God is doing. Would you not say that? My goodness, how could God's people be so out of sync, so out of step with where God is? And yet, it's these Old Testament prophets that kept coming, pointing out how the people were out of sync with God's plans and purposes. And the rebuke is hard to hear, right? I mean, I'm sure Pastor Jason made it all sound really wonderful the last few weeks, right? It was just, oh, that, yeah, that's a hard thing to hear, but we get it. I don't know about you, but when I've studied the minor prophets, I kind of went, oh, that, there's something almost offensive about it. And yet the Word of God can either be a knife or a scalpel, Right? that does some amazing things in our lives. And so Isaiah 58 is the passage that I've kind of chosen for us today because it's, it's a passage that talks about the people of God being out of sync. And so you can meet me there in Isaiah 58. Most of it's going to be up here on the screen. But I think that it is a powerful place for us to, uh, to just spend a few moments. And it starts out like this. It's a message from God to Isaiah saying to him, let him have it. It kind of sounds like a sort of a clarion call, like here, you, here we go, but it says, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descents of Jacob their sins. And he's just basically saying, give it to them, I've got a hard message. For day after day, they seek me out. That doesn't sound bad, does it? I'm sure we've all been in those times in our lives where we've desired to to seek God out day after day. And and, and, and here we have this this verse where it says, you know, day after day, they seek me out. But then it kind of comes apart. They seem eager. Ooh. I don't know, you guys and gals, whether you've ever said to your spouse or a good friend, you know, you seem a little off today. Whenever that word is used, it's kind of, mm, there's something behind it, and it's true. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and is not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and there's the word again, and seem eager for God to come near. So what's it about? Like, what's he introducing here in Isaiah 58? Things seem right, but they are not. And it doesn't take long for us to get into the passage. We find that they are out of sync. You know, there's two things that I'd like to share with you that will make a difference 
in the midst of all of this and how you reach out, especially as it relates to anything that we try and do with people in our world that, that really need uh, something, need that kind of dignity. And interestingly enough, it has a lot to do with how we worship. And as we all see, this is what was at issue here in Isaiah 58. The people thought they were doing everything right, were participating in an act of worship, God. Everything is okay, isn't it? But they were out of sync with where God was at and the kind of worship he really required. You know, to God, worship is not what we normally think of when we think of worship. Especially in North America and in the West, we have this kind of idea about what worship is. We've actually even participated in it here today. Now, I got to tell you, I love to worship. I was actually a worship leader for a good period of my life, mauling over the, the music and the way things would go each week and arranging, and, and um, it'll come as no surprise to you that, that in my era, it was sort of the beginning of the worship team era. The choirs were gone and the worship teams came on with the band and all this kind of stuff. And yes, I had a, I had a hand in kind of making that happen. I know you might find that hard to believe, but I did. And, and I love to, to worship, and I love to hear the Word of God preached. I love to hear it taught well, and I love to see people interacting with it, kind of going, oh, I've never thought of that before. And God's doing a new thing in my life. But the mirror that God is holding up in Isaiah 58 is a question. Worship to what end? Worship to what end? Where does all this singing and listening lead to? What does all the encouragement and inspiration do? Coming out of 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've asked myself this question many times. If I'm there approximately 45 Sundays a year, 45 Sundays a year, because there's 52 and I take a few weeks off, I preach all that preaching, we sing all that singing, and we do all that we do in worship, and it just seems like not that much is changing. Have you ever felt that way? And I have to look at myself first. So what does it all do? And you know, the first point is that the church of Jesus Christ does not worship only for worship's sake. We are to worship to be set on mission for God. Their worship and Isaiah had set them on something else, okay? Very interesting passage. It starts out with, why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen? Why have you not noticed? We have humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed. Now, I just, I just want to caution you on something. You probably already know this. But when you make these kinds of statements to God you better be ready for whatever response is going to come. I'm just saying. And it's interesting that they're talking about humility and wanting to be noticed in the same breath. You're already detecting that something's up or down, depending on how you look at it. They kind of have this false humility thing going on. They're going, you know, we fasted and you've not noticed God. We've humbled ourselves and you've not seen it. 
So God's response is, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit your workers. All of a sudden, it comes out of the worship room into everyday life. Can we just take a tour around your community where you as a group of people are exploiting those who work for you? Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. Have you ever wondered what kind of fasting this was, that it would kind of end this way? And I don't know whether this is figurative or whether they actually ended in a brawl. Like, this is the kind of stuff in Scripture that I just love, gang, because I kind of go, what on earth was going on here? And yet these were the words from God Almighty through Isaiah to these people, so there must have been something very real about it. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. That's a pretty serious indictment. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this what it is? It's, it's a powerful way to look at it, friends. Is, it, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? You know, in verse 6, God himself does a major shift in worship. He says, you want to worship? Worship in the neighborhood by being purveyors of justice, by setting people free, by loving those no one else will love, to begin to see the world with different lenses, to begin to love what God loves and hate what God hates, and to do something about it. It's a powerful picture for us that when we are gathered as we are this morning in this beautiful way, and I love to worship, and I do not have any problem with music and preaching and all that that means. It's just that it needs to have a direction into the lives of people to each other and to the world. Or it's just a bunch of music and words. I think you want that. I really do. I think you want that as a church. I think you want this gathering together as an armament, a loving person-to-person arming to go out and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so the second point builds on the first in that our worship is to lead us to making a daily difference in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm going to sort of summarize some verses here. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen only for a day? Only for people to humble themselves? Is not this the kind of fast I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? He says, then when you're in sync with me, he says, when you get involved with this kind of worship where we're setting the people free, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He says, when you're in sync with me, you'll shine. 
and I think you want to shine. And so worship is not a day or an event, it's a life. This is who the people of God are to be. It's our DNA to care about those that no one else cares about. I mean, follow Jesus through the Gospels. Have you ever considered just for a moment how little we know about Jesus' worship experience in the Gospels? Now, I know that pastors and theologians like to really sort of dice up the amount of verses or, that are given to one particular topic. And yes, you know, there's more verses about giving and stewardship and fear, all this kind of stuff, and we make big points on that. But have you ever wondered, I, I don't think there's a worship service described anywhere that Jesus attends. But we hear a lot about his daily life, about his daily worship, about the fact that it's part of his DNA and it can and it, can and it needs to be ours too. He stopped when others wanted to keep going. He ate with those that were not, he wasn't supposed to eat with. He touched people who were unclean. And you know, this last week in my personal devotions, I came to that passage where the disciples said, get rid of the little kids. Get rid of the little kids. We don't want them around. And Jesus said, no, little children, bring them close. And then he had this wonderful picture of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. It's about the heart of a little child. You know, Jesus came to disturb those who were comfortable and comfort those who were disturbed. It was his daily walk, and this is a sober calling, isn't it? Our worship is not just a once-a-week practice. It's who we are. So when we go out those doors, it's about who we are. It's who Christ is making us to be because he cares about his people. The Apostle Paul understood this. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's a living sacrifice daily. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you know, in a very real way here today, I feel like we are celebrating the good part of Isaiah 58. It's always good to take whatever comes from the Word of God as a scalpel and whatever kind of hits us on the chin and what we need to slap upside the head and say, maybe I'm just kind of in this, God, move me to where you want me to be. But I think we're celebrating here today that you as a church have test and approve what God's perfect will is, especially in how you're reaching out. Diakonia in Paraguay is the organization of which you are actually partnering with. Global Aid Network is just kind of like a conduit. Now, don't get me wrong, we love being that conduit, but we are all about what Diakonia does. If you went to their website today, you would have uh, 3,000 clients. They haven't updated that website. Their goal this year in 2022 is actually to minister with and alongside almost double that amount of women. And there is a beauty in microloans, but it's not just about the microloans. That's just the beginning of it. How it works out is that they become part of what's called a trust group. 
kind of sounds like a life group or a community group or a small group, because it is. And by the way, you don't have to be a Christian to be a part of this. It's non-discriminatory. But the beauty of it is, you will understand something about Jesus by the time you're done with that group. And so, in the, these groups, imagine 6,000 businesses all coupled into groups like that. This is a big job of which you're a part of. And it's a good job. And they're coupled into these groups of which they receive weekly training and understanding of what a business is. We've had people actually go from the lower mainland who are part of businesses and help train these people in small businesses. And when they get there, they realize, oh my goodness, we can't speak to them about businesses in the way we do it in British Columbia. And they've had the joy of translating into a Paraguayan sort of situation. And so I find the microloans stories inspiring because people find not only financial resources, but relationships that make a difference. That's what you're about here today. We hear stories of couples whose marriages are restored, of people of all ages, but especially the teen culture in Paraguay who lead their lives of drugs and delinquency, all because they are shown a different pathway. Just this week, uh, I was able to chat with Judah Mooney, uh, who is the head of Diakonia in Paraguay, and he shared with me that they just launched a new vocational training program this week. And uh, this is a picture of it, and this is at least in part what your um, resources will be going to. And this is a new business where women learn to make decorative leather water thermoses that they can sell. 22 women from four different trust groups are taking part in the training to add to their inventory of their already going businesses or to start a new business. Now, I suspect that there's probably a few of us in this room who kind of went, that doesn't seem like much. But the reality is, it doesn't seem like much until you come to the understanding that where this training is happening is right in the Asuncion garbage dump area. The district of the city where all of these women formerly scoured the garbage to make a living or to find food for their families. And now they have dignified work. And on top of it all, God has gifted Rosanna showing, showing here at the end of the table with a real heart for discipleship. And, and she's one of the spiritual chaplains with a special grace to reach out to these women who were, who were very sure that God had forgotten them. And through the love that she has given, many have given their lives to Christ and find hope and salvation. City Collective, hear me clearly. It's not a loan that you're providing. It's a life. And I hope you get to actually see it face-to-face -face someday. Maybe you will. But I wanted to also share with you that uh, earlier this year, you did a bit of a pivot. And it's an important one. And maybe some of you have noticed that Ukraine has kind of moved off the central news cycle just a bit. <laughs> but I can tell you that the, that the difficulty and the war and the conflict 
is as strong today as it was a few months ago. Ukraine uh, is a country that's undergoing a lot of humanitarian relief. Uh, the money that you supplied in part had to do with just sharing uh, more humanitarian relief of food and clothing and uh, hygiene products and various other kinds of simple water to people that once had it but don't have it anymore. In fact, through our partner, Gain Germany, uh, 48 hours before the whole conflict began, they had these trucks on the road because they knew they were going to be needed. And they moved, and they moved hard, and they moved all kinds of stuff into Ukraine. Uh, it was, it, it's an amazing thing to see the tremendous need, but it's an amazing thing to see the way the tremendous need is being met. It's hard to see some of these pictures, but it's reality. A few weeks ago, I was in Latvia, which is one of the Baltic states, and I'll let you look that up on a map a little bit later. But Latvia is where we do our DART training, disaster assistance and response teams. And they are the ones who would go into areas like this in high-risk areas. There was about 20 of us being trained. And when we do DART missions around the world, then out of that pool and the extended pool of about 100 people, they'll choose people to go and, and minister in high-risk areas like Ukraine. There's probably one planned for the next three or four months into Ukraine. And uh, so, by the way, this is something that anybody in this room could apply for. And if I can do it, you can do it. And it's something that you could be a part of as a, as, as a ministry at some point in the, in the future. A lot of people don't realize that. You'd get to go to Latvia to do DART training. I'm not, I can't, I'm at, there's actually, we're sort of sworn to secrecy on, cer secrecy on certain details for security reasons. But I can tell you it's awesome to be trained in high security, high risk, kind of high motivational. Like if you've got a gear for doing something that nobody else kind of does, this is for you. But we did the DART training in Latvia for about a week. And you did work within the, the classroom, and then you did some simulation sorts of training. Now, as part of the simulation goes and how you had set something up, we had simulated training, but it was with real people. And so what we were able to do is do a food distribution and clothing distribution that you see in these pictures behind me right now with real people. Tuvu, which I won't get into the name as to why it's called Tuvu, was the Christian organization that uh, this whole thing was done on their grounds in their business. And uh, they, uh, they were expecting 150 people there that day. And uh, over 500 showed up. And a good majority of them were our friends from the Ukraine. Latvia has received about 32,000 people to this point and counting from Ukraine, and many of them have landed in the capital city area of Riga. And uh, they heard about the distribution and came in a couple of busloads. And honestly, we were sort of prepared. But thankfully, God had provided these two huge trucks from Germany that we received and sorted out and got ready. And there was something for everyone. And I'll tell you, it is, uh, it is something. I had the joy of being kind of the welcome center guy. So I stood at the gate and allowed a certain amount of people through so that we could stay organized. But as people were waiting, I'd have this opportunity to just chat people up. 
And many of them spoke English. Lots didn't, but many of them spoke English. And my Latvia and Ukrainian is terrible, so I needed them to speak to me in English. And, and uh, it was a beautiful day, hey? Much like the day that we have outside today. And people were smiley, but their, their emotions were right on the edge, right at the surface. I'll never forget this one couple that had just come from Ukraine like weeks ago. And I asked him, so what was it like? He said, we lost everything. And Ukraine is a developed country, friends. It's just like very much like British Columbia. It's not a third world country. They live in houses, they have cars, they have food on their table, except when it comes to this particular tragic, tragic event. And he said, we lost everything, and my mother passed away in the conflict. And then he couldn't finish the next sentence. And to see a grown man completely break down and crumble at his feet at his own feet, was, um, was a moment that I'll never forget anytime soon. And so, they thank you. They thank you for just spending a few moments and a few dollars to reach out. And you know what the number one message is? And I've found this when I've traveled to the Middle East and worked amongst refugees or, or this particular situation or Africa. They don't want any pity. They really don't. Pity is one of those anti-dignified kind of things. You know what I mean? As if somehow we're so much better, which we're not. But you know what the number one thing is? Don't pity us. Would you just not forget us? Would you just not forget to continue to pray? To continue to to have you in our minds, in, in your minds and hearts. And um, I close with that. Please don't forget. Somehow figure out a way as a church to keep it high on your minds and hearts that outside of this beautiful place that we live in British Columbia and outside of Canada and really by and large outside of North America, there is... There are places that need our constancy of prayer, even when we don't feel like doing it. And so, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. It is your spiritual act of worship in action. And God is pleased with that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, right now, we want to remember. We want to call to mind even though we don't know these people, I mean, if I could give the picture to this audience this morning of this couple that were just devastated, I would. For privacy reasons, Lord, I just didn't have a picture for them here today, but they're asking us not to forget them. And so God, with open hearts, and maybe with just a little bit of our hearts breaking today, we want to not forget we want to continue to pray for people that we may never meet, but people that need our thoughts and prayers and 
the action of real love around the world. So would you bless City Collective, God, as they continue to mull this over in their minds in the coming days and months, as they continue to uh, think about what it means for them to reach out around the corner and around the world uh, through diakonia and other opportunities to share. God, would you provide a pathway in the not-too-distant future for many of them, if not uh, quite a few of this church, to go and to get a sense. And for those who have already been there, Lord, would you, would you have them fuel the thought of what God still wants to do in this day in 2022? God, we stand at a, at a, at a vista point, and we look out over the needs of our world and what you want to do. God, would you make the vision clear? And show us what it is. Thank you for what's already been done. Thank you for the funds that have been given, the prayer that has been offered. Lord, fuel this church to be your salt and light, your hands and feet, both here in Langley and around the world. And for that, we give you thanks, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.